Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. How do you go from foxhole prayers to absolute truly believing and giving over your will and your power to something greater than yourself? Great question. I'm not quite sure I can answer that. I did it, but I knew that I needed to. And I don't know how I did it, but I know that I did it. I just know that when it came time, when I finally was ready to give over and give to my higher power, that it happened. I'll tell you what Joe and Charlie have to say about giving up and giving over to your higher power. Over on page 62, he tells us what the problem really is. He said selfishness and self-centeredness. That we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later put us in a position to be hurt. Let's remember that statement. Read it again, Joe, would you? But we invariably find that at some time in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later put us in a position to be hurt. We'll discuss that some more when we get to step four. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us, and God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of his self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we'd like to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. Remember, you can't heal a sick mind with a sick mind can't be done. We have to have God's help. Now he told us how it works, then he told us why it won't work, and now he's going to tell us how it really works. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. If this is really a God-directed world, then those of us who have been self-directed, and those of us who have tried to direct everything and everybody around us, We've really been trying to do God's business for him. We're not God. We've just been playing at being God. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. Not our suggester, our director. He got his word right back in two pages later. Now, he is the principal and we are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. Now, most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arts through which we pass to freedom. And what is this new idea? That he is the father, we're the children. He is the principal, we're the agent. He's the boss, I work for him. You see, in my area we have, I hear some people from time to time saying, well, I want God to get me and my wife back, and I want God to get my car, and please God get me a job, and... I don't think God cares much about all those things, you know. They're using God as a little whipping boy, you know, to send him out for errand boy, take care of these things for him. Self-centeredness. You know, in that other book that Charlie talked about in the front of it, 
I remember reading this story that God worked for six days and then he rested. Now, I don't remember him ever going back to work again. You see? If there's going to be any work done, it looks like I'm going to have to be the one to do it. He's the principal. We're the agents. He's the father. We're the children. He's the boss. I work for him. And most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Now then, this is the third reference to the wonderfully effective spiritual structure we're going to build. This time he's telling us what the structure is. It's an arch. And we're going to walk through that arch to freedom. He's painting that picture in our mind using words. The keystone of that arch is a simple little idea that we're going to let God be the director of our lives. You know, in the old days when they built arches, before they had the mortar and stuff they do now, the stones were all stacked loosely together. But the stones were cut in such a way that as the sides of the arch came up, they began to bend toward the middle. The center stone in the middle was called the keystone. And if it was cut right, the other stones leaned against it and the keystone supported the whole arch. If it was faulty, it slipped out, the arch would collapse. The keystone of the arch that you and I are going to pass through to freedom is a very simple idea. We're going to let God be the director of our lives. Those of us who have been self-directed people and almost destroyed ourselves are going to make a simple little decision and let God be the director from now on. Now remember, step one, willingness was the foundation of that structure. Step two, believing was the cornerstone of that structure. Step three, decision, is the keystone of that structure. Later on, we're going to refer to it some more. I love the way this guy writes. Sure. Now look at this one. He's the father and we're the children. He's the boss. I work for him. Page 63. Now when we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. Some Beautiful promises here. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became con conscious of his presence, we begin to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. And I used to hear that word called reborn from time to time when I was out there drinking, and I hated that word. I mean, I hated them people. They used to come to my house and talk to me about being reborn. I'd run them off. Get out of here. And I'd run. I did. I didn't understand what it meant. There's another story in that other book, too, by a guy named Nicodemus. He didn't understand that either. And he went to this guy and he said, well, what are you talking about being reborn? Do you mean I've got to go back into my mother's womb? See, he didn't understand that either. And he said, well, Nicodemus, he said, didn't you go to the university? Aren't you smart? Aren't you educated? Man, don't you know you can't do that? He said, when I'm talking about being reborn, I'm talking about the renewing of your mind. And boy, that makes sense to me. I had become such a resentful, angry, vindictive, hateful person that I needed to, a renewing of my mind. And I knew that I can't heal a sick mind with a sick mind. And I look now, we are at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you will. 
Relieve me of the bondage itself that I may better be, do your will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help of your power, your love, and your way of life. May I do your will always. And we thought well before taking this step, making sure that we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. And this third step prayer in this book is a prayer that I do many, many times a day. Because you see, today I know as a result of the things that have happened in my life, and if I told you a number of those things, and I could, it would be unbelievable the things that's happened in my life. When I first come to Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't have enough money to get out of town. Didn't have nothing. Today I've been all over the world by the grace of God. Many, many things have happened. I'm able to sit here and to do these things, and before I couldn't even look you in the eye as a result of this prayer. See, I want God to direct my life. I want God to direct my thinking and my life. And I made that decision to do that, and I do it many, many times a day. What a better idea than to have God direct my life. You know, I, I can't think of a better thing, and I pray for that daily. He's the Father, and I'm the child. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. I think we need to realize in step three now, we're making a decision to turn the whole bowl of wax over, not just part of it. Now it tells us in chapter five in the reading of how it works, half measures availed us nothing. And I remember as I began to take step three in the beginning, I was scared to death still about what God would do with all this stuff. So I tried to do it half measures. I remember saying, God, I, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thy wilt and blah, 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 in areas of my alcoholism. But now, God, stay out of my sex life. <laughs> I can handle that okay. Don't mess with my finances. I do quite well there, too. And I think what we need to realize is God don't go halfway. He wants it all. He doesn't have to bargain with us, period. You know, and we try to turn our alcoholism over to him and retain the rest. I think the fallacy in that is that God don't even drink, as far as I know. He wants all of us, every bit of us. And that's what we're really making a decision to do. And I heard a lady say in a meeting the other night, it makes so much sense to me. She said, if you're afraid of step three, go ahead and do it anyhow. She said, what the hell is it going to hurt? She said, what you've been doing hasn't been working very good, has it? And if it's been working that good, then continue what you've been doing. If it hasn't, then let's just turn it over to God. Make the effort, try, and see what happens. It's absolutely amazing when we do this. We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor. But it's better to meet God alone, the one who might misunderstand. The wording was, of course, quite optional, so long as we expressed the idea, voicing it without reservation. This was only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made an effect, sometimes a very great one was felt at once. Once in a great while you see somebody have a spiritual experience right here, and just, they just change, just automatically overnight. But you don't see that very often. Most of us, it's going to be a very slow process. Step three is the beginning of the process. We have some more steps that we're going to use to carry out this decision. I think another thing that might be important is we found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with another person. You know, in the beginning, they always took this step with another person. In the Oxford group, this was step one for them. 
when they came into the group, the older members took the new member upstairs in Dr. Bob's house. They all got on their knees, and the new person made his surrender in the company of the other people. And then after the surrender was over, they voted on how well he surrendered. Today, somewhere, we've got the idea that it's embarrassing for people to see us pray. Uh, you know, we're the funniest people in the world. We'll, we'll let our family see us on our knees every morning, hugging the porcelain bowl in the bathroom as we puke for years. We come into AA and start trying to do something about our life, and we're scared to death to let anybody see us pray. It's always been known that prayer has a deeper meaning in taken, when taken in connection with and in company with other human beings. Those that I work with, I insist they take step three prayer with me for two reasons. One, if they take it with me, I know they've taken it. You know, sometimes alcoholics tend to lie. And if, they, <laughs> if they take step three with me, I know they've done step three. But another reason I do it, and probably the most important reason, is every time we do it together, it has a deeper meaning for me and becomes more of a part of my life also. It really helps me to do that. You don't have to. I think it's a good idea. One more thing. I don't normally tell this, but since we're in this place, I think I will come to me. I'm going to say it. When I got to this area, I didn't really know how to do this thing. And those guys that used to come to see me from that church, I had grown to hate those people. I mean, really. And I refused to have anything to do with them. But when I got to this area, I copied this little prayer down. And I knew what they did on Sunday morning about 11 o'clock. And I went to that church about 11 o'clock. And I took this little piece of paper, and they had what they call altar call in that church. And I went down there, and I got on my knees. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, and I did this thing that they did. And I got up, and I walked away from that church a free man all that stuff was gone and from that day to this i have been doing that prayer many many times a day thank you if you go to enough meetings you will eventually hear quite a number of personal stories about how people relate to their higher power and the concept of god probably will run the gamut of Prayers they did as a child, prayers they did growing up in various religions, discussing with God, talking with God like he was a family member. But it really doesn't matter which one you choose. Because once you start establishing a relationship with something greater than yourself, once you start giving over your self-will, our self-will, my self-will, I stopped driving that bus of destruction that used to run down the road. I was my own worst enemy. I was a self-fulfilling prophecy of doom and gloom and disaster because I don't have the bigger picture. I'm not truly in charge. We can't be. This world, this universe, this whole existence that we have must have something greater. No matter what, who, how you believe, there has to be something more than just us. So whether you believe in green aliens or you think that the world was created 5,000 years ago, 
something brought this into creation. So all I'm going to ask is, maybe just give it a thought. Give it a chance. Because once we turn over, no, once I turned over my will and my selfishness and my desire to be the director, to be the one in control, things got a lot better. My days today are calm and peaceful. They're filled with love and joy. And I couldn't ask for anything more than that. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.